Well, it was with anticipation that I came this morning. <clears throat> Having heard about Oasis, and uh, I'm a curious person, so I was often curious of who's here. And found out this morning that I don't know who all is here. <laughs> I know some, but not all. So uh, I'm here with a, with a joy. You're a very quiet church. Now, I've been labeled as being somewhat charismatic, but uh, I'm not asking for charismatic noise. But I found out that one of the worst things about having hearing aids is having a very good forgetter. And this morning I forgot my hearing aids. And uh, I wear two and it, uh, it can get a little quiet. So I'm not blaming you. <laughs> <clears throat> I sat behind you, Earl, and I saw you had two, and I thought you wouldn't have to be greedy. But uh, <laughs> Oh, I uh, told my wife on the way. She uh, said, uh, usually when we were almost in my, at Myerstown, do you have your hearing aids? No, Anna. But it was too late. I didn't want to turn back. And I said, well, I'll be preaching, so it won't be so bad. <clears throat> Before I start this morning, I'd like to talk about a name. Oh, and by the way, if you think it's far to go to children's class from Washington, I would agree, but you're welcome to come to our church. I enjoyed that. Our, uh, my son and I found a skunk one time, and I told him that wise tale that a skunk will not spray you if you keep a hold of its tail, but I didn't tell him that if he can get its feet hold, its front feet a hold, it can do a good job. And we caught one in our basement, and he took it out to the field and left it down, and it got its feet in the ground. And let me tell you, they can work it, whether you have the tail or not. <laughs> so I enjoyed that this morning, and especially in conjunction with what he was teaching the youth, the, the children. <coughs> But I'd like to speak just a little bit before I go to my message on a name. Years ago, back in 1968, my wife and I were young children of God. And uh, in our fashion, we loved the Lord. We were going to a small group in Lancaster County at that time in a church. And uh, we started a church there, about uh, 12 families. And we wanted a name for the church. And so we sat together, us brethren, decided that we would come together with names that we thought would be good for the church, for a church, and uh, then discuss it. And uh, I remember being at home up here in Myerstown, that's where we lived at the time. And uh, I came across, I don't know how I came across it, but in reading my Bible, I came across the word Malita which is an isle of refuge, is really what it means. And I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember of Melita and Lancaster County, but that's where that started. I was in about 1968, I believe, 69. And then uh, 
When, when I heard this oasis, I thought, I wonder if they're going to live up to their name. Do you know what an oasis is? Can you and I picture a man crawling across the desert because he's so far gone he can't walk anymore? And he's so thirsty. Have you ever been thirsty? I mean thirsty. I don't mean this thing, well, hey, I'm going to stop and get an iced tea or something. I don't mean that. I mean thirsty. One of the greatest actions of thirst that I ever saw in my life. When I was a boy, we were working up here in a wheat field out there from pretty far from the barn. And I was pitching sheaves and a bunch of some other boys. And there was one man there that was just thirsty. And he just thought he couldn't go on. And so they brought a kettle of water at that time. They had these little molasses cans. And they brought this kettle out. And the, the, the boy that brought it out grabbed it at the shop. He thought it was water. He brought it out and he gave it to, to us. And this fellow was so thirsty, he took it and started drinking it. It was motor oil. And you know, we have a lot of, we have a lot of discouragements in life. And before we find the Lord, and then we hear there's an oasis. And that means a place where water was found. Now, my question to you, dear people, is, is there water here? Are you an oasis to thirsty souls? Are you a Melita? You know, we like to say, like our church at Bedford was named Christian Light. That's good. That's good. Christian Light, that's good. But do we live up to our name? I'm going to challenge you with that this morning. If you are truly oasis, you're going to be the answer for some thirsty soul. And I don't challenge you above any of God's other children. We all have that responsibility. But to me, when I heard that oasis, I thought, marvelous. And I could go across, I don't know how many churches I've preached in. I have no idea. But I've hit some interesting names. And I'm afraid that some of us don't live up to our name. You know, my dad, I'm one of 14 children. Was raised up here in Myerstown. And my dad didn't have many boys, but he had nine girls. I have six daughters, and I say, if you want to know something about girls, ask me. But dad didn't have so many boys, and I was the second of his boys. And he called me Abner. Of all things, he called me Abner. And I told dad, I said, dad, if I would have been the 14th one, this was when I was older, if I'd have been the 14th one, I could understand you calling me Abner. But not the second one. Well, I've learned to live with it. But I'm convinced, my dear people, that we need to live up to our name. Your name is going to become what you are. Not You do not have to become what the name means to you. But you can change that. And in this thought of oasis, I'm just blessed. It's a marvelous name. 
All right, now I'm going to get to the message. Let's pray. Righteous, eternal Father, what a joy it is to be with the children of God. What a blessing and uplifting of the heart. What happiness, what pleasure that you allow us, O oh God, when we as your children come together to worship and to sing praises and to teach and to help each other on these rocky pathways of life. That's the purpose of the coming together of the children of God. And I thank you for that blessing and pray that you might be with us this morning as we face this morning hour and this message in Christ I pray. Amen. <clears throat> you know, uh, I don't know how many times in my ministry that I have been asked of people, what, uh, what moved you to preach that message? Or uh, how do you get a message? Well, now I'm going to tell you something, and I don't want you to be shocked. This message might just shock you, rather. I don't know if it will or not. But I felt I was given this of God. But your message, the message that I want to preach this morning, came by what, brother, I think it was you, Earl, or was it uh, uh, Brian? I don't even, well, I don't know which one it was. But he told me that you were going to go hiking this afternoon. Was it you? <clears throat> That's where the message is coming from. Now I wonder, Earl, if I would ask you, why are you going hiking? I, listen, I'm not a, uh, I'm not a formal So why are you going hiking? What, what's the idea? I mean, why would a church go hiking? Well, one of the, one of the weakest things, the, the things that I'm feeling that's crawling up on me at my young age is, well, rather older age, is my legs. And Earl asked me if, uh, I want to go, if we want to go along, we can go along. I told my wife, no way. I'm not hiking down a railroad bed and think it's pleasure because I got to ache at every step. And so I think, what are you guys going hiking for? Then I thought of what, of pleasures in life. And I thought of joys. And I thought of things that can build us up. And I want to, so, I want to speak on happiness. You know, brethren and sisters, I was brought up in a, a church that frowned very much on anything, and especially on a Sunday, anything that makes you happy. It is very religious to be downtrodden, sober, and you got very good at putting that face on. I'd like to talk a little bit about joy. <clears throat> now, I have a son-in-law and a daughter, 
that go to a fellowship that the name of the church is Joy. Just simply Joy. That sounds real good. My question is, when you go there, are you going to find joy? And what are you going to find? Just like I said, what are you going to find when you go to Oasis? Are you going to find something that satisfies your thirsty soul? Or what's it going to be? Is it going to be a church that's filled up with strife and turmoil? Or is it going to be a church that's very dogmatic? What's it going to be? That's what makes life interesting. I got a book. A, a, a brother sent me a book. Well, he gave me one. A, a bishop brother from a, another constituency gave me a book not too long ago that I didn't know was out. But it's a, it's a book with pictures of church houses. I don't know how many. I don't know if you ever saw it or not. But it was very interesting to me. I went through that book and I would say probably 75% of the pictures of the book in the pictures of the churches in the book. Yes, it's more like 80% that I preached in those church houses. I couldn't even remember the names of the churches. But what I like to talk about us this morning is do we live? No, that, that's not really what I want to talk about, but I want to bring that in. Do we live? Do the people see why our church name is what it is? And, and I like to talk about the church of joy. Not down in Ephrata. But the church of Jesus Christ. It has been my burden, dearly beloved, through the years that I've been ministering. Why don't we have more marvelous joy? Why aren't our faces happy? Why are we such a woe-begone lot? I believe that the church of Jesus Christ ought to be a joyous church. Because they have the answer of eternal life. They have the answer to eternal life. They have the answer to who has given his life for us. And I've heard that this morning. And a well of joy springs up within me when I realize of God's people scattered upon the face of this earth. This morning, we got a message of a young man by the name of David Brubaker that was shot in the head yesterday in Honduras. I've been down there many times different times, I should say. And we heard this, and I know the young man, I used to have the bishop responsibility over, over his church where his daddy is. And the boy would have been a little boy then. And I thought of that when I thought of my message. How can somebody have pleasure? How can somebody have joy? How can somebody be filled up with happiness? When these things are happening to the children of God. How can we go on anticipating glorious things when we have a president election? Now, I'm not a politician. But when we have a president election coming up where I tell my wife, Anna, we're in trouble. If you want to look at America overall, we are in trouble. Because of the 
low morality of our leaders. Now, does that take away my happiness? Uh Uh-uh. It's going to take more than that to erase that glorious redemption in Christ Jesus. So let's think about joy. And I'm going to talk a little bit about recreational joy. But I wanted to start on this. Do you believe that God has a humor? And I have a little overdose of that, I know. People say, I imagine too much. But you know, I remember years ago, I was a young preacher and I took it upon myself. I guess I was only preaching probably about two, three years. And I, and I wanted to preach about heaven. And so I, I, I did. I preached a message Sunday morning about heaven. And there was an older man, a man I loved dearly. He doesn't live anymore. He was a single man and he was a little bit on the stoic side. Uh, a little bit uh, for my taste, uh, but I loved him. He put stability in me. And after the message, he came up to me and he said, Abner, you are entirely too, have too much of an imagination. And I said, what do you mean about heaven? He said, yes. I said, why? Why do you say that? Well, he said, you act like the people that are in heaven are going to be people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, what do you think they're going to be? And I talked, I guess, that way maybe too much. And, and then he said, well, you're going to be a spirit. Oh. Well, I, I said, uh, brother, well, what's a spirit? I mean, how do you picture a spirit? Well, it's uh I said, you mean I'm just going to be a little cloud floating around up there? I get no joy out of that. See, I get joy when I visualize and yes, imagine, because I'm imagining. I'm imagining a heaven where everything is going to be perfect. It's going to be right. We won't have to turn around and tell God to come again. This isn't it. It's going to be beautiful. And if I have to imagine people to get that, God forgive me when it, if it isn't quite like that, and I'm sure he will. Because he gave us an imagination. And I believe, my dearly beloved, that unless you can see some of these things outside of our ability to see with our natural eyes, you can't have joy in the life. That's what brings us joy. The marvelous things that are before us. So I asked again the question, does God love pleasure? Or is your vision of God what mine used to be before I was converted, see, I never, I never remember of not believing there's a God. I was taught there's a God, but He was a God in heaven with a big stick. He was a He was a God that was bent on revenge. Never forget the day up here above Myerstown, when, by the help of brethren, this picture was opened up to me that God gave His Son. So that I could live. And you talk about joy. I didn't understand it. If you'd have asked me, are you born again? I would have no idea what you're talking about. But I knew that God had taken my sins. The Holy Spirit came upon me and told me, what a beautiful thing. Now, what should I do? Walk around life. Such a woe-begone sight. 
Christians, we need to be a testimony, testimony by the joy in our life. I plead you. You say, well, you don't know the troubles I have. That's right, I don't. You don't know what I have either. Some of it. Amen, brother. My legs. But my, my Lord gave me my wife to help me along with him. He's a wonderful God. In First Chronicles, it tells us that thou hast pleasure in uprightness. Thou hast pleasure in uprightness. I believe my God is emotional. He can hate. He can get angry. He can laugh. You check the scriptures. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness. So evidently he must have pleasure in righteousness. And if he has pleasure, is it wrong for you and I to have pleasure? You know, I have six daughters. And I love my daughters. That's, we have, I, I shouldn't say just one son. I tell my daughter-in-law she's my favorite daughter-in-law. And that doesn't impress her at all. <laughs> but we have one son and six daughters. And, and I, I love my daughters. And they're, they're such a wonderful blessing. The older we get, the more it seems that we value them. And God has given them to us for our pleasure. I believe that. I don't know what I'd do with seven boys. I mean, was that what the one from... Maybe we should have moved to Washington, Anna. Seven boys. What would I do with seven boys? I asked my brother Melvin. One time we were at his place and we came out from after breakfast and his boys all came up a lot. This was when the boys were small. They all came around him and I looked at these boys and I said to my brother Melvin, what I would have done on the farm with seven boys. I think he has seven. I, I, I don't know what I would have done. And then Melvin sobered me up pretty quick. He said, well, you'd learn to get them all to work and keep them at work. It's not always fun. So I guess maybe that's the downside to it too. But pleasure. God wants us to have pleasure in the things that he gave us. And if anything I want you to remember in this message this morning is that it's not, not holy to be miserable. It is not holy to just constantly put your sadness on other people. And it seems to me almost that there's people that are Christians that go around in their life thinking that's their sworn duty to God to make other people miserable. You're not going to make me miserable. My God is far greater. Now I know there, and there's a balance side in this message. I know that, and I might not hit the balance right. But I want to tell us, I want to speak to myself that is no reason why God's children cannot be joyful in adversity. There's no reason. In Psalms 111, verse 2, the works of the Lord are great. <clears throat> sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. So we can have pleasure. Psalm 149 verse 4, For the Lord taketh pleasure in His people. Alright, I'd, like uh, I'd like to think a little bit about some of these things, these pleasures that we can have. Um, 
So whether you eat or drink, I, I want to be balanced. I, I don't want to, to, to you to get the idea that, uh, that I'm just preaching some foolish, lighthearted gospel. Not at all. But within the heart, there should be a wellspring springing up that brings joy to our life. Joy to our children. You know, I've been in homes through my ministry where you could almost cut the tension with a knife. There was such a tension in the home that's not going to bring up healthy children. There needs to be a freedom in the home and that can only come by repentance and confession and openness. But that needs to be. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do it all for the glory of God. (coughs) Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I didn't know if I want to say something or not, but here in this fire station grounds, they used to to have carnivals 40, 50 years ago. And I just sat here this morning thinking, and I was in this carnival many times in my youth. I sat here thinking, did I have true joy then? No, I didn't. I was miserable. I thought I had joy, but I had nothing to what the Lord has given me since. I could tell you a lot of history. Be a little Amish girl walking up the street here. And go into the public school up here. And now she's my wife. It's a lot of history. And when you not, if you don't know the Lord, you try to get fun where you can. And when you know the Lord, you get the joy that comes from Him. <clears throat> Ephesians 5.16 tells us to redeem the time. And that goes in seeking pleasures. Any man is a cynic who condemns... Now, now you take this right. Any man, I wrote down here, is a cynic who condemns all amusements. I was a farmer for a lot of my years, milking cows. And I regret that I didn't take my six girls fishing more. My, that I didn't take, teach my son more some of the joys out there instead of driving a tractor. Don't flunk on that, young fathers. Let your children remember the times. I, I am so surprised. When our children are together, we were just all together just not long ago. <coughs> our seven children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren And I'm surprised when they sit down and talk about the things they remember at home. That's a challenge. What are some of the things your children are going to say they remembered of your home? Well, Dad always made us sit down and and read our Bibles and that's all right. That's a good remembrance. But sometimes, you know... I. We, we, when we were Amish, we didn't take pictures. And then uh, after we left the Amish, we finally started taking some pictures. And 
Some of the pictures in our picture, al- picture album that, that uh, makes me just about laugh more than anything else is seeing the face of two or three of my daughters all on the back of this big uh, overly sized horse on his hands and knees in the living room and they're sitting on his back and you ought to see what they're, how they're laughing at this horse, this uncontrollable horse that bucks them off and whatnot. And you look at those children's faces and you realize that in this innocent thing they were getting a tremendous joy and pleasure out of. Don't rob your children of that. I did too much of that. I hope you're following me. But any man who just thinks that all amusements as evil and inconsistent with the truest Christian life, such teaching may have been accepted in the monkish time of sternness and rigor, but piety meant contempt for all the joys and pleasures of life. And I'll tell you, I'll be honest, you may never get me back again here, but I'm going to be honest. I do not believe that that's a gauge of how close you are with Christ. I just don't believe that. I believe joy, the joy that God gave His children to realize salvation in Christ Jesus is a joy that can go on in actions that we have as families at home. I'm very strong a family man. And I, I, I just long to see parents, fathers and mothers don't get so swamped in work. That was my problem. That you don't have children, a time to give pleasure to your children. <clears throat> in many Christian lives, Misconceptions of the true ideal of the Christian character have tended to harsh views concerning pleasure. And the loyalist Christian seeks ever to imitate Christ. Our conception of his character and the life produce themselves, therefore, in our ethics and living. If we think this is what Christ did, that's what we want in our family. A somber Christian makes a somber, no, a somber Christ makes a somber religion. A joyous and joy approving Christ produces a sunny religion. Happiness on your face. I'm not talking foolishness. Please don't misinterpret me. I'm talking of joy. You know, uh, Brother Lloyd Martin, he was a bishop at North Lebanon. I don't know if you remember him or not. But that man was very instrumental in the conversion of my wife and I. And I don't know that I ever saw that man with a grouchy look on his face. He had the joy of the Lord so much that he used to scare me no end. Soon after I was converted... And my family did not approve of what I was believing. If I would meet Lloyd at a sale, well, I'll take you back. The first time I went to a church house was right after I found the Lord. And I went to North Lebanon to church. And Brother Lloyd was sitting up on the front bench when I walked in the door. And the church house was so strange to me. And I walked in there just not not knowing what I'm going to meet, but I wanted to go because of what I had experienced just a Saturday before. 
Brother Paul Landis from Crockett, Kentucky was the evangelist. And Lloyd was sitting up in the front bench. And when I walked in the door in the back of the church, he saw me come. And he got up on his feet, mind you. Now, I'm from Amish background. And he said, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I just about ran like a rabbit. I mean, this was so unheard of. And if I would go to a farm sale here in Lebanon County and Lloyd was there, you know, I, I hadn't lost my fear of man yet. And if he'd see me through the crowd, praise the Lord, Brother Abner. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. It would scare me. But he was so filled with joy. And I'm going to tell you this. I don't know, like I said, how many of you remember Lloyd. But that was a man that showed the joy of the Lord. Him and his son Glenn and I worked together for years. And I uh, remember a story that Glenn told me about his dad. Just thinking about joy. He said him and his brother were traveling with his dad over out with his dad in the field, and they were combining oats with a tractor and a pole combine. And they were going down through the field, and all at once, dad stopped. And his Glenn and his brother were there on the fenders of the tractor. And his dad went around the back of the combine, and, and they heard his dad say, Well, praise the Lord. And then his brother looked at him and said, I wonder what broke now. <laughs> now you think of that. I said, if my son would have heard me say that, he'd probably wonder what preacher's coming up through the wheat field. But they knew that if something broke, he was there to praise the Lord. That's what the joy of God does in our hearts. That's why the troubles of this life don't have to loom so big when the joy of the Lord springs forth. As men have read more deeply into the gospel, this view of Christ has been found to be superficial, put on piety. This view of Christ has, has proved to be that. Christ ever carried a heart of joy. His life was hard and full of grief, but the hardness did not crush his spirit. Not carry his griefs. Is my head too big or what's wrong? I'm used to one at home, but it's a little different than this. Or it was in Bedford, I should say. Whenever Jesus moved, out of the results of where he was, came joy and pleasure. Did you ever think of that? <clears throat> Not one harsh or cynical word that I can find ever fell from the lips of my Christ. And when you think of the the boy I was, and what God accepted in our little home up here, it is almost unbelievable that God will look over all the problems and bring forth a marvelous grace that we can't even describe. The true concept of Christ's personality and character is of a deeply serious man 
earnest, thoughtful, living an intense life, but never gloomy or cynical. Never critical. Even when Zacchaeus was up there on that sycamore tree, there was nothing cynical about Jesus when he went up to him and said, Come down. I'm going to come to your house for tea. Well, that's part of the song. <laughs> Big pardon. But when I think of that, I think Jesus, Jesus didn't reprimand him and say, well, come on, just because you're short in the legs doesn't mean you've got to climb a tree. Jesus saw him where he was. And think of the joy that Zacchaeus had. He was coming to my house for tea or whatever. And to me, that's a marvelous thing. It does not make men, men boisterous, boisterous. It tames a wild nature. <clears throat> Let me give you this thought. I do not believe, my dear friends, this morning, that there's an inconsistency between laughter and holiness. Now, I know, I know, some of us have to battle a little bit more when we, I, I tend to see funny situations in things. And, and I have to put a limit on that. I know that. It's one of those burdens that the Lord gave me. Just, just, just do this, you know, just don't, don't, uh, and, and I, I tend to see the funny side of something. And I believe that gets way carried out overboard. It can be way out of line. But it, it can also be when you, and, and especially you as a preacher, if you come up here to the pulpit and all you're going to do is shovel out hard things, that's what's going to leave the doors. Put the thought, if you can't do it every Sunday, do it at least one Sunday a month, that you can walk out of the church and be joyous. And be happy. He misrepresents Christianity who represents it as a likeness of somebody that's cold, rigid, and colorless. And we cannot do that. We have to be honest with what Christianity really is. <clears throat> there are proper amusements in which the true Christian may indulge. Now you may say, okay, now he's going to talk about uh, what? Playing hockey, pinball machine. Now, I'm not going to do that. Not at all. How many of you enjoy hunting? You put him down. <laughs> now, I'm going to give you some slack. When I was a young Christian... Anna and I found out of a man by the name of Uri Shetler that was coming to preach in Lewisburg. I was a hunting fanatic. I had guns, rifles, pistols, bows, you name it. And I went to this meeting never anticipating that God's going to take my pleasure away. Whoop, now wait a minute, boys, I'm not done. 
I went to this meeting and Brother Yuri was preaching and he gave his testimony of how as a young man he was ordained one Sunday in the church. He was a Christian. And the next Monday morning was deer hunting, opening deer hunting. And he was up in the mountains hunting down in Oakland, Maryland. And all at once it said as he was up there in the mountain, it seemed like the Lord said, I called you yesterday to hunt souls, not deer. And he went home and sold his rifle and bought a deep freeze for his wife. And I sat there. Well, we didn't need a deep freeze, but I was convinced there was other things we could use. I never went hunting since. Now, you say, are you against that? No, I'm not. But if you allow your heart to get a hold of a pleasure in your life that hurts your wife, your children, your church, whatever it may be, think on it. That's all I ask. Now, I have brethren that will travel all the way to Montana, Colorado, to get the big one. My brother was up hunting a few years ago, and a grizzly bear come up and almost got him. Shot him in the face. And the grizzly rolled down and the cub ran up to him. And my brother was telling me this story. And I just shook my head. He said, well, what would you have done? I said, you don't understand, brother. I wouldn't have been there. <laughs> but I believe that I believe that God allows brethren and sisters to get some pleasure out of hunting. I'm not opposed to it. But you and I need to make a sit-down time with God and find out whether I'm free in that. I'm, I just use hunting as an illustration. I love to play ball. I still like to watch ball playing. When, it, when we have school picnic and things like that, is it wrong? No, please go out and play ball with your young children. It's not wrong. But don't let it rob you to the point where you're just going night after night. There's a, I almost said who it, I mean, I don't want to say who it was, but there's, there's a man that asked me to take him someplace. I don't know right what to do. He goes out with a group of men to throw, what do you call them, frisbees? And they call it frisbee golf or something like that. And he, and, and I don't see anything wrong with that. But he is so taken up with it, he told me, if I don't go out once a week with Frisbee Gold, I, I just I just feel miserable. Well, let me tell you something. i got something that make me a lot more mis- miserable than throwing a Frisbee all across the lawn and then walking after. Of course, my legs are the problem too. But True religion and common life are not two different and distinct things. Do you understand that? I'll repeat that. True religion and the common things in life are not two separate things. We've made it that way and it's not true. They are all in one life combined. Somebody says, well, when the Lord comes back, I want to be found on my knees praying. Well, I've come to this point where I feel I want to be comfortable in whatever I'm doing. When the Lord comes back. And that will take care of a lot of these pleasures that are eating away our time. 
It's the fashion to laugh at criticism when somebody criticizes some forms of amusement. But if they're made on moral grounds, then you as a child of God, beware. There's amusements that need to be a decision made on moral grounds. And and a lot of these sports with boys and girls playing together where there's unnecessary body contact can be wrong. And we need to have the discernment of the Holy Spirit to guide us and direct us in these areas. Because they get, it, it seems like there's, there's never a convenient stopping place when you go over that line. And it's my plea to the church. I was, I'm not, uh, I was for years in a church where they frowned on just about any physical amusement for the youth. I'm not there anymore. I, I believe that some of these things can be good. Bodily exercise can be good. But with that, there needs to be a discerning spirit that what we're doing is not just satisfying some carnal needs or lusts in our life. When that is free, a a competitive... uh, Now, please understand me. I I think sometimes some of these farmers of us that were farmers or so, that that we, we frown on anything competitive, but... Are we ever competitive when it comes to how much milk or cows give or how straight the corn rows are or all that type of stuff? Let's be consistent. Consistent in life. And we are just human being enough that we tend to compete. And if you're going to have a game out here where there's no competition, why run? I'll sit in the bleachers. You know? There's something about competition that Makes fun. It doesn't have to be evil. But it gives fun. You're going to think this is crazy. Here he's talking about amusements on a Sunday morning. That's right. See, I'm not a Sabbath keeper. I believe Sunday is a day of rest and worship. And I appreciate that. But you're not going to... My mother used to say, if I hammer a nail in on a Sunday, the angels cry. Well, I'm sorry, Mom. I never heard them cry. I think we, we, we come up with a lot of things like this and then it becomes a um, cultural practice and then we feel guilt and then that guilt, we, we, we tend to go against that guilt and as young people our guilt, our, our conscience becomes seared and after a while we're doing things that we wouldn't believe we did because our conscience was walked against in some things that were not really true. And I, and I plead against this for you and your children. You teach them which is scripturally true and train their conscience. Amen. I used to say that conscience is a safe guide. Well, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to say this. I believe conscience is a very good guide. But if we don't train our conscience according to the word of God, we're going to be led all over the place. And a lot of places that are not safe because conscience needs to be affixed. And conscience will only attach itself to the highest thing we know. You ever think of that? Your conscience can't rise higher than what you know. And it's marvelous, marvelous. What happens? When I was converted, 
I was a heavy cigarette smoker. And those brethren from North Lebanon that were in our house could have seen the cigarettes in my pocket. They never talked to me about cigarette smoking. Do you know what they did? They taught me what it is to have the Spirit talk to my conscience. And within three, four weeks, now I know some people, some Mennonites say, you can't be a Christian and smoke. Well, whoop, whoop, wait a minute, wait a minute. I believe I was a Christian for at least two months and I was still smoking like a stack. Now you say, come on, Abner, what are you allowing? I'm saying, listen to the Spirit. Let the Spirit speak to your conscience. And then all at once it came upon me that I want to smell sweet for God. And my wife could tell you I did anything but smell sweet. I wanted to smell sweet for God. And within an hour of falling on my face before God in my barn and crying out, Oh God, I can't quit! Can you take me this way? That's what I said. Oh, the nerve of me. But he did. Never smoked again. That's been 50 years ago. Hallelujah! That's where the power of Christ comes in. And you know, my conscience, you say, well, 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 what, what did, why didn't you, when you were converted, realize that immediately? Because my father, please, I, I, I say this kindly, but my dad was an Amish preacher and he smoked all the time that I knew at home. How was I to associate cigarettes with, with wrongness? In fact, when I stopped smoking, my dad told my brother, we've lost him now. He won't come back. So your conscience is not always a safe guide in your amusements. And so my message this morning is, go to the Word of God. Go to brotherhood. Seek answers from sources that you know have eternity in view. And get your answers there. Don't go to your own flesh Because it likes certain things. Well, it's time for me to... Is that clock right there? Yeah. I don't know what time I got up, but I don't want to take a lot of your time. You need to go hiking. (laughs) Bless you, brethren. I'm not holding this against you at all. Not at all. In fact, it inspired me to preach this crazy message. But I, I want you to know this. I believe that God ordained us people here in this world not to go through a life of miserableness. But He has called us to be His children where we can be happy and joyful. And we can lift up our spirits before God in prayer. There's times when we weep. There's times when we don't know what to say. But in all things we can pick up something joyful. I just thought of something and I know uh, that you, you might have heard this before, but we had three daughters that lost their husbands. One of them was 32 years old, and the next, the next daughter, the oldest one's husband, and the next daughter's husband was, was 39 years old uh, when he passed away, and the next one was 42 years old. And at the third son's viewing, the third son-in-law's viewing, 
My next son-in-law was sitting beside me. And he came through the row and wished God's blessing and what we do. And this young boy came along. And I, my heart goes out to him. I know what it is to have your mouth full and not keep it shut. You know, that's how you say things sometimes that you shouldn't. But he came up to my fourth son-in-law and shook his hand. I was sitting right beside him. And he said a terrible thing. And I believe he was, I believe, to me, it just seemed like he was probably thinking this, what am I going to say to Mark? What am I going to say to Mark? And when he came up to him, he shook Mark's hand and he said, I guess you realize, Mark, you're the next in line. Now, we would say that was not very brilliant, was it? But what I want to say is what Mark did. And I'd like to encourage us. Mark is a thinker. And he just looked up at this boy and he said, yes, but I'd do it all over again. And you know, I appreciated that so much. We cannot let the troubles and trials of life just literally put us down. There's always a happy page if you're willing to page another one. Joy will come to your heart. Oh, I missed a lot of scriptures here this morning going through it. But I, I just I just like to encourage us. Joy cometh in the morning. Joy is a part of our makeup. The child of God. Now, that's what I'm talking about. Joy should shine on our faces. I am sad and I am not glad when people just cannot express joy. You say, but you don't know what I went through. A.W. Tozer said one time, I always appreciated that. I think I read it in one of his books. He said, the preaching of the word, the preaching about Jesus Christ, the preaching of the glorious thing of the future should make the audience either mad, sad, or glad. But he said it's a horrible thing if it doesn't do any of that. And so this morning, if you leave this church house and you're sad, I have hopes for you. If you're glad, I say hallelujah. If you're mad, I say, he's thinking. But if it doesn't do anything then I'm going to wonder, whoa, is his conscience that far gone? I believe a message should do that, and I've never forgotten that. It should make us either mad, sad, or glad. Just a little bit on sports. People are different. Somebody gave me a book one time, on the, I guess it's what, the temperaments, I can't label it all. Uh, the temperaments. And I never had read it, then I read it. And she said, the, the person who gave me the book said, Abner, in your ministry, I think this book would help you a lot. Well, I don't want to say it helped me. Yes, I, I believe it helped me, but it's also dangerous. It's dangerous because we tend to excuse ourselves and say, well, I'm a choleric or I'm this or that. And I don't subscribe to that. I think... Uh, I, I, it's like I said, you know, it's melancholy and I don't know what they are. Probably some of you better read on it than I am. 
And uh, and I've said already, God is able to take a border collie and change him. It's, it's just, you know, it, it, you're not, God isn't stopped by our temperament. In fact, he will take us and change us. And when he does, we need to realize that it's a work of God that changes us. So we have no excuse. I realized that a melancholy person was one that was pretty hard for me to work with in my ministry. Because I couldn't understand him. Well, what's so sad about life? You know, and I'm talking about Christians. But there are temperaments. I, I have given up on that. I, I realize there's different temperaments. I don't know you people good enough, but in the church at Shalom, I can tell you pretty well now already after six months of some of the temperaments that I, and I don't read them that way, but yeah, they're different. We're different. And hallelujah that we're different. I mean, what a drab earth if everything would be one color. God was a, a God of diversity. And when he made us, he made us that way. The reason I'm saying this is because some people find it a lot easier to be joyful in situations. And others tend to think on the dark sides that might may be coming. You know, let's take for instance, I don't know why, but just last night I was reading a little bit about what's happening in our government. And I, 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 I then all at once I thought, oh, what's, what's the difference who comes in? Who's going to be president? What's the difference? We're going to suffer some things or we might not suffer something. But what's the difference? Jesus Christ is in control. That's where we get our joy. Not whether Hillary makes it or Trump. Not, not whether any of those two. But Jesus Christ is in control. You say, well, then he better not put any in. He'll do what we deserve. I believe that with all my heart. I'm going to have to quit. This thing won't stay on. I'm just going to ask for testimony this morning. And I want you to be honest. If you have anything to say, you say it. And if you have anything to help me and encourage me and give me more joy, you do that. But I find this subject sort of controversial, especially in former Mennonite people. They just don't know if they can laugh aloud. Well, I can. And sometimes to the embarrassment of my wife, I do. And I'm not saying you have to do what I do because you might be different. But I believe, dearly beloved, that I, it, is the, it is one of the necessities of the church of God is to present the happiness that Christ gives us in our life. Happy hiking. Anybody want to say something?